0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed. Broadcasting from
1: Edinburgh, Scotland, across the globe. You're listening to Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed, the people's podcast. Here to rock the podcast world.
0: Hello listeners, it's a Sutherland again. Third time at the controls of the Hattrick and Ramsey podcast on a solo mission to rock the podcast world. As promised, I thought I'd give you a little update of where I am in the world, and today I am recording this in Punta Cana, which is in the Dominican Republic, which is on the island of Hispaniola, which is in the Caribbean that's the island which the east side is the dominican republic and the west side is haiti the east side uh, dominican republic uh, obviously where i am as i say is uh, more of an outward looking sort of place really so lots of foreign investment comes in here sitting in a lovely hotel a series of four or five hotels actually on the south coast of dominican republic absolutely lovely resort lots of money coming in lots of jobs created on the west side of the island however that's haiti it's run by uh, a left-wing government absolute desolation nothing there no you you wouldn't want to go there i mean okay they had earthquakes which was terrible shame you know tragedy however even before the earthquakes nothing going on so uh, just shows you uh, what happens really if you uh, get a left-wing government the whole thing just falls apart so what about punta Cana? well i can tell you it's absolutely stunning out there at the moment 30 degrees celsius uh, People out there drinking nice drinks by the pool or enjoying a little paddle in the sea. Absolutely lovely. But I am committed to the listeners, so I am sitting in my room at the controls of the podcast to bring you this. Putacana, very popular with Americans, rather like Cancun, where I broadcast you from last week. Uh, Again, it's only two, three hours uh, from most U.S. cities down to the Caribbean, so it's rather like their Mediterranean, but more and more um, we get Brits coming across from the UK. The UK, obviously, right on the very western side of Europe, so flight time down here, well, yesterday we popped into uh put a plateau on the north of the island with a flight time of just eight hours. On the way home tonight, we're expecting about seven and a half hours, so it's only a little bit further than Sham El Sheikh down there in Sinai, and, uh, well... Probably a bit safer, really. So, I totally understand why people come here. It makes a huge amount of sense. Much cheaper. Lovely, welcoming people. And great hotels. Good prices. All-inclusive. Uh, absolutely love the place. Good weather, too. Loving it. Anyway, enough about that. I'm going to talk to you today about the uh, railfares. Uh, British railfares uh, went up again last week. Uh, by one percent above inflation, the inflation figures came out, and uh, the rail fares go up in line with that figure. So, uh, I mean, how can rail fares be any higher? I mean, when you go and buy a ticket, sometimes it, I, I travel an awful lot between Edinburgh and London, and if you don't book in advance, the ticket—well, uh, I mean, if you were going to go first class, you, you know, it you, you can be three hundred pounds, four hundred pounds return. That's insane. Absolutely insane. I don't want to buy the train. I just want a little seat on the stupid train going between Edinburgh and London. The three to £400 is ridiculous. Surely the whole point of public transport is that you don't have to book three years in advance to get a, a ticket. You want to be able to just hop on that train and go, don't you? I would have thought so. Absolutely ridiculous. And the, uh, the ticketing strategy is just crazy. I mean, uh, Jenny was going from Newcastle to London uh, last month. And uh, the ticket price was about £140 or so. Absolutely crazy. But if she booked from Newcastle to Newark, I think it was, sort of halfway down the track, and then another ticket from Newark to London on the same train, didn't even have to get off the train, you have to change seats in the carriage on two separate tickets, then it was about £70 cheaper. Absolutely ridiculous. The, the whole... Byzantine way that the rail fare structure set up in the UK is absolutely crazy. It it really is. And it's uh, cynical, really, from the rail companies. Absolutely cynical. They just try and confuse you so you have to pay more. But what I really wanted to talk to you about was the absolute fraud that is rail privatisation. I mean, what is rail privatisation? It's not really private, is it? It's just big companies are buying the right to have a monopoly. And big companies, boy, they love a monopoly. So you get to buy the right. And the East Coast Mainline, as I say, the one I use most of the time, is uh, now run by the Virgin East Coast franchise. It's not actually Virgin. It's uh, 90% owned by a company called Stagecoach, which is run by a rather unpleasant Scottish man, and uh, 10% owned by Virgin. But because Virgin is deemed to have the the better brand, uh, they paint the trains red. And uh, had that virgin livery so that's sort of fraudulent for a start isn't it really anyway they paid for eight years 3.3 billion pounds for the right to run that railway line and 3.3 billion pounds is clearly for to pay that for a monopoly is obviously worthwhile and part of why they got Given the franchise was, they were also promised to invest £140 million in new rolling stock and on the track. So, hang on a minute, what happened to the £3.3 billion? Well, that just goes to the government, doesn't it? That's all it does. It just goes to the government to dole out in benefits and foreign aid and a load of nonsense um, that they waste their money on bureaucrats left, right and centre. So £3.3 billion. And what did the government do? They go, oh, isn't it great? We've got £3.3 billion now to, to waste. Isn't it great? We, we've got this money. Uh, we're going to spend it on you. Well, that's all very well, except what's the upshot of that? You've got to spend £400. to get a return ticket between Edinburgh and London, whereas the actual cost is probably only, if that was in Spain, it would probably cost you £20. It's absolutely ridiculous. So they're lauding on about the fact that how clever we are getting all this money, but the losers are, of course, the rail passengers that have to pay all the money to give Virgin the money to uh, pay off their debt on the £3.3 billion. It's a complete sham. How is it privatisation? It's the worst kind of privatisation, selling the right to a monopoly. It's an absolute disgrace. After all, the tracks were uh, put in many, many years ago, and they've been maintained since... Uh, the railways were nationalised at the taxpayers' expense. So all these tracks, the electrification process, is all subsidised by the government, by us, by the taxpayers. And then that infrastructure is then sold to the train operating companies to make a, a, a vast vast profit, all of which is paid for by us. So we have to pay tax to pay the lines, and then we have to pay effectively a tax to use the trains. Because what else is it? If Virgin had paid £3.3 billion, to have the right to that monopoly, then most of your rail fare is going to pay the government. Because Virgin have to pay that 3.3 billion off somehow, don't they? So it obviously goes on the rail fare, so your train ticket is taxed. They may as well call it rail tax. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. And the fact that they promised to invest 140 million is neither here nor there, is it? Why don't they pay 140 million for the right to use the line and invest 3.3 billion improving it? Would that not make more sense? I think it probably would. All this nonsense about high speed two, and uh, putting these fast lines in again taxpayer funded. Make these companies pay for it. It's all just smoke and mirrors. Absolutely ridiculous. The previous company that had it was called uh, uh, National Express, and they they went skint. They couldn't make it work. They weren't making enough money, so they just thought, "Ah, oh, we'll just go, just up sticks and go. So the government had to take over with East Coast, and for a brief while, the East Coast mainline was nationalized again. And it worked beautifully. It was a great company. I, I enjoyed traveling on the East Coast trains, not really in favor of um, large nationalized industries, but with some things like railways, maybe it just makes sense. I mean, because private companies, they're not going to build all their own tracks, are they? It's not going to have the Virgin track on one side, then the cross-country track on another side, then the First Grace Western track running alongside it. It's, it's crazy, isn't it? So it really does make sense, I think, to uh, nationalise the railways uh, not in favour of this privatised system at all. Similar, similarly, the uh, privatised uh, industries, I, I, I just generally think they are a complete scam. If you look at the three, 3G and 4G phone networks... Um, well, they sold off the, the rights to have these to the mobile phone companies. And, uh, again, it was that, that idiot, Ed Balls, idiot, absolute idiot. He should be nowhere near government ever again. And, frankly, the, the thought of his wife, uh, Yvette Cooper, Yvette Balls becoming Labour leader and getting back near the controls of government is terrifying with Ed Balls in the background telling her what to do. He's an absolute idiot. Well, what he said was that selling the 4G the right to have the 4G um, wavelengths in the, in the UK was going to raise 3 to £4 billion. He said it would be a 3 to £4 billion windfall by selling the 4G rights to uh, Vodafone and uh, I think it was uh, EE, the phone companies in the UK. Well, again, thanks, Ed, You're going to pay for your hundred thousand affordable homes using this three to four billion pound windfall, but that's no good because now my mobile phone contract costs sixty pounds a month thanks to you, you idiot, absolute idiot. So okay, you build the affordable homes, but now no one can afford a mobile phone because Vodafone are having to pay the government four billion pounds. Hey, guess what? Your iPhone is no longer subsidised, and you have to pay sixty pounds a month for their poxy network. Absolutely ridiculous. It's smoke and mirrors. They just use private companies to collect tax. That's all they do. So your train ticket, as I said, is going towards paying this 3.3 billion for virgin trains to have the right to use the line. Your mobile phone, because it's £60 a month, is because the government have charged Vodafone four billion pounds to have the right to have that network. So they're just getting private companies to collect the tax. I I pay enough tax, it is, I'm fed up of paying tax. It makes me cross, to be honest. People say, "Oh, it's nice to pay tax. Well, I hate paying tax. I'd pay nothing if I could, and then I'd decide who I give it to, because I think the government wastes the whole bloomin' lot. So getting these private companies to collect the tax is just smoke and mirrors. It disgusts me. It's Gordon Brown, actually. He was the guy that did it, that idiot. God, I'm getting cross. what has got into me today. I don't know, just makes me angry. I think it's just the deception of it all and the lies we get told and the big companies colluding with government and then giving government ministers jobs on the board after they quit. Just absolutely disgusts me. Power companies too. They, they're they the same. What's the point of having privatised electricity? Oh, EDF electricity. Oh, that's much better electric than NPower Electric. Is electric not electric? All well, comes in the same place, doesn't it? Absolutely ridiculous. Just a complete... Sham. And of course they make the power companies, they've got the green levy now, haven't they? The 5% green levy. So all the power companies have to add 5% onto their power bills to pay the government for those stupid wind turbines. The ones that James Delingpole calls bird slicing, bat chomping, eco crucifixes. Made me laugh actually, that. Spot on, he said it on any questions on the awful BBC it was very, very funny. But he's absolutely right. Um, the, all this green nonsense. Um, again, the power companies collecting tax. It all goes in the pot where they waste it. They just waste it in the government. The government should just get out of my life, actually. Just in a bit of a mood today. I don't know. Anyway, that's my thought about fares. I kind of went a bit off topic, didn't I? It became a bit of a rant. I hope you enjoy the rants. I mean, they help me. Even if you don't enjoy them, it saves me a lot of money on therapy because I can just shout at the uh, the microphone and get it all out of my system because when you start to think about the corruption and the greed and the nepotism in British politics and business, it just makes you sick, doesn't it, really? Anyway, I'll leave it there. Then my thoughts about the non-privatised uh, or privatised non-competition industries that we have in the UK, just absolutely disgusting, the worst kind of privatization it, it just makes me sick it really does. Anyway I'll uh, leave you with that for now and uh, here's some calming music to help you relax <laughs>
1: just dawned on me I dawned on you You mop up the rain when skies are blue I've only got three words Check one, two Don't need to think twice about the loving in my life when a I fighter I fight flies, you're my precious, you're the mold, you're my mountain made of gold. You're either hot or cold, but can I have you when I'm old? You're my precious, you're the mold, you're my mountain made of gold. can I have you when I'm old? If I'd have known it all, then I'd never been alone. You're either hard or cold, but can I have you when I'm old? Labor Leadership Update. Join the show? Tell us about it. Send us your feedback, suggestions, or thoughts to and ramsey at gmail.com. <laughs> this show is brought to you by EdinburghDusters.com and IdeasGoingLive.com.
0: What's up, it's your boy relevision host of Five Mics Radio Fridays at eleven thirty, live from New York. Shout out to the Hattrick and Ramsey podcast. Yes, that's right. In the background of all this, the Labour leadership contest is still ongoing. The tragedy comedy of errors that is the Labour Party leadership contest. They're all still in it. Um, I- there was a word that Liz Kendall may have withdrawn from the leadership contest. It's it's just uh, Jeremy Corbyn has won, hasn't he? That that's what's happened. Corbyn has won. I think Paddy Power, the uh, online bookmaker, has already paid out actually on Jeremy Corbyn winning the uh, the leadership of the Labour Party. So uh, it, it, it's if they're paying out, if a bookie is already paid out, then. I mean, it's as good as done, isn't it? So, so that's it. Jeremy Corbyn is now Her Majesty's official leader of the opposition. He gets uh, a lot of privileged information in that position. So uh, intelligence reports and uh, what's going on at MI5, uh, information from the USA. That's great, isn't it? Because now the all our partners in the intelligence world, they're going to give us information, aren't they? Because now they know... Jeremy Corbyn's going to get it, and he's the guy that mixes with the IRA, mixes with Hezbollah and Hamas, so it's just great that he's got all our most confidential security information, isn't it? It's spot on. This is uh, Ed Miliband's uh, fault, of course, the appalling leader of the Labour Party who, uh, I mean, snatched defeat from the jaws of victory in May 2015. He faced a lot of criticism because nobody wanted him as a leader either. It was the union bloc vote, vote, the trade unions that got Ed Miliband uh, elected. And the Labour Party, they're so spineless. They're a spineless bunch, so they refused to get rid of him. So despite the fact the Conservatives were cutting left, right and centre and should have been the most unpopular political party in years, they they still won because of Ed Miliband. They wouldn't get rid of him. They're just chicken. They wouldn't do it. But what he did was he changed the rules because he faced so much criticism for becoming leader with the union bloc vote that he introduced something called associate membership where you could pay a small amount of money and then you could vote for the leader. So what happened, of course, everyone that supports the Labour Party has um, obviously a, uh, had a vote anyway, but lots of people that don't support it have paid their £3 and voted for Jeremy Corbyn, haven't they? So now they're all up in arms saying, oh, dear, well, is it legal? Is it not legal? Well, Corbyn's won it. The joke candidate, the candidate they put up for fun to broaden the debate, the candidate that seven, seven out of 240 or whatever it is MPs want. Seven. That's all that actually want, Corbyn. Seven out of 240. Um, So it's a complete disaster for them, isn't it? Um, How can he lead the party with seven people that want him there? It's... uh, it's a complete nonsense, it, it really is. And now, who's slithered into the political arena to have his debate? It's Peter Mandelson, the Prince of Darkness himself. He's now questioning whether the whole leadership should be uh, cancelled, and they should have it again, because he's so worried about it. Uh, 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 there's just... There's no there's nobody there, is there? I mean, you, you don't want... The others are so awful. Liz Kendall Mintcake, the... The right winger, who's probably more to the right of David Cameron. While she's there, I don't know. Again, seems to have come to the wrong party. Then is Andy Burnaman Floggham. Used to be uh, I mean he was privatizing hospitals left, right, and centre when he was health secretary. And now suddenly he's become a bit of a born-again socialist because he wants to get votes off Corbyn. He's such a he's such an actor. He's so fake. Everything about him is fake. He just comes across as just artificial, says what um he thinks people want to hear uh absolutely awful then Yvette cooper her strategy uh on the ongoing uh contest seems to be just say absolutely nothing at all say nothing controversial just sneak around like a church mouse in the corner of the room say nothing interesting don't stand on any toes whatsoever and uh well it actually seems to be working by having nothing to say uh, keeping your mouth shut seems to be doing her uh, more good but of course the people here, the, the absolute, uh, the people who are really going to fail here, uh, and actually it makes me laugh a little bit, are people like Chuka Amuna and Tristan Hunt. These are the people that really are the future of the Labour Party, or were the future of the Labour Party, and they would not put themselves forward for this leadership contest, because they knew that Labour were in a mess, and they knew that they wouldn't get into power. So they snuck to the back, Chuka Amuna even said he would joined the leadership contest, and then decided, ooh, well, I don't like all the publicity, or we're not ready for it. What a pillock, honestly. What did he expect? Well, hey, guess what, guys? When you think your time to lead the party uh, comes, it's going to be a bit of a problem, sugar a bit of a problem, Tristan, because there won't be a Labour Party, because Jeremy Corbyn will have taken it back to the 18th century. Nobody will be a Labour Party member anymore, because that guy his policies are going to be clearly ludicrous. Nice guy, he believes what he thinks, but then lots of people believe and have convictions about what they think. There's people that believe in ghosts or go chasing UFOs. I mean, they may be nice people, but you wouldn't want them to run the country, would you? Well, that's Corbyn with his left-wing fantasy politics. It's all well and good, fun and games, to have debates about these things. But when he actually becomes the leader of the Labour Party and it ceases to exist as a political entity... Altogether, then Chukka Ramuna's gonna be crying in his cornflakes, isn't he? Because he thought he would just come in at the last minute, take over, and take champagne and medals and uh, take the party to victory. Well, Chukka, guess what? The party's gonna be absolutely destroyed. So when your time comes, there'll be no party to lead. So look what you've done. You coward. You total coward. No principles. You thought you didn't want all the attention. You didn't realise. You you love attention. You're never off the telly, for goodness sake, smarming about the place in your suede shoes and in your clubs uh, in London. Don't want the attention. Never heard so much nonsense. You're going to get everything you deserve because you're a coward. What about the Lib Dems? Well, Tim Farron, who is apparently the leader of the Lib Dems, there's there's only eight Lib Dems left, or is it nine? It's single figures anyway. You could put them all in a people carrier when they go for their political conference in September, they're, all, they're just, they're just going to hire a Renault Espace. They don't need a bus anymore. They're going to hire a Renault Espace, claim the mileage back from uh, from the party HQ, and they're all going to go up in their little Renault Espace. And uh, they don't need to have the Grand Hotel in Brighton anymore or a large hotel in Manchester. They're just, they're just going to put a tent up on the beach in Brighton. That's it. Anyway, Tim Farron is saying, oh, come back to the Lib Dems, come back to the Lib Dems, all you Labour, uh, Labour's in disarray, so come over. Well, they're not going to do that. I mean, what's happened to the Lib Dems is going is to happen to Labour, but they're not going to get back to the Lib Dems. Why would you trust them? This is the trouble. No one knew what the Lib Dems stood for. Down in the South they were like Tories. Up in the North East, they were like Labour. In Scotland, they were like the SNP. Nobody knew who they were. And then when they finally got into government and sold out to absolutely everybody, then no wonder they're being kicked into political oblivion. Not really surprising, Tim Farron, honestly. Really, political leaders? can you imagine? I mean, I think I can imagine Andy Burnham being Prime Minister over Tim Farron. He just seems totally ineffective. Anyway, that's the little uh, update on the Labour leadership contest. are uh, still watching with grim fascination. Um, yep, yeah, and uh, I'll get back to you next time with another update Thank you very much What's up? It's your boy Relevision, Host of Five Mics Radio Fridays at 11.30 Live from New York Shout out to the Hattrick and Ramsey Podcast
1: This show is brought to you by EdinburghDusters.com And IdeasGoingLive.com Enjoying the show? Tell us about it. Send us your feedback, suggestions, or thoughts to and ramsey at gmail.com
0: Welcome back to the Ramsey and Hattrick Unleashed podcast. Well, I've had a nice relaxing mug of chamomile tea in my hotel room in Punta Cana, and I've relaxed a bit, talking about politicians and the ...banksters and big business uh, makes me quite cross. So uh, I've calmed down a bit. Nice cup of caramel tea. And I want to talk to you about car rental. Bit of a change of direction, really. Well, the reason is that um, I had to sell my car last month. Uh, I need my house... Well, it's fallen to bits. So I needed to get quite a lot of work done on it. And it was either get a loan... Or, or sell the car that I wasn't really using very much anyway. So the car had to go um, to pay for this because quite a lot of repairs need doing. It's really not great, actually. I'm uh, At the moment, I'm, I'm more broke than a Greek mortgage advisor, more broke than Bustos Totalis, the Greek mortgage advisor, I'm afraid. So uh, what I've been doing is renting cars on a credit card. Is that a good idea? Probably not. But, you know, when needs must, that's what you've got to do. And uh, I'd have to pay for two years on the credit card, it's fantastic. Not that I'm encouraging people to get credit cards, but uh, for me right now at this pinch point with my house falling to pieces, it works quite well. But it's been quite good fun too. I quite like renting cars because I, I love cars. Um, and just driving different ones, it, it's just fun. Seeing how different manufacturers do different things, uh, how they approach problems, uh, how their models compare really. And also the rental process itself, uh, it's quite good fun. Because you pick up the cars at the airport so you don't have to get a bus into London or the tram into Edinburgh, which is more expensive than going to space. so you just pick up the car at the airport at the car rental center and you just drop it off there so it's it's quite convenient so even though you're paying a bit of money for the rental car, you're saving a lot on bloated prices for public transport to and from the airport so yeah we've been involved in car rental um before that uh, the Hattrick ran a rental company before he retired he 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 ran a car rental companies worked in rental, so he knows quite a bit. About it, So he always gives me quite good advice about how to deal with the rental companies. But uh, the cars I've rented, I've rented six cars over the last month, quite a few. So for probably about 15 days or so of the last month, I've been renting cars on the credit card um, just to, to get around and do my job and visit family, etc. And I've really enjoyed it. But I thought I'd talk about some of the cars that I've rented. I always go for the cheapest car, always. always go for the micro car, um, the kind of little... Tiny little Smart or or Fiat 500. And um, most of the time you get upgraded, actually. Uh, I've been upgraded all the way to Mercedes A-Class, which was a much more expensive car. That should have been £60 a day or something, and I was paying £12 a day. So it was actually an absolute bargain. But the first time I did actually get a Fiat 500, that was the car that uh, I paid for, and that's what they gave me, unfortunately. But it's always quite nice. I, I quite like the 500. It looks sort of cute, doesn't it? It's the car that that saved Fiat really from oblivion with all its dreadful sort of bravos, bravas, tipos, all that stuff. The 500 brought a bit of style back, a bit of Italian character, and I, I enjoyed driving it, it, it. I mean, objectively, the car is terrible. You, you look at the little cute face and the nice dashboard, the funky colours and the little graphics on the, the dashboard, but actually, the, the driving is, is pretty awful. The seat doesn't go low enough, so even though it's a tiny car, you, you're perched up on top like you're riding a horse, and it rolls around all over the place. The traction control cuts in, the stability control cuts in the whole time. It's not well-engineered at all. Given that the car's been on sale for five or six years now, you'd think they'd get it sorted out, but clearly they haven't. Still, you can't help but like the car, though, uh, despite that. It's amazing what you can get by if you have a bit of, a bit of character in a car. So, I've enjoyed it. The ride quality is okay. Fuel consumption is all right, although perhaps I don't drive it very smoothly. Um, The next car was a trip down to Cornwall, down to see Jenny's parents down in Cornwall. So, rented a Ford Focus diesel. £12 a day, that's all it got. Absolutely nothing, these cars. I mean, clearly the rental companies just make the money on the car. They must buy them dirt cheap. The hat trick knows all about this, but they must buy them dirt cheap from manufacturers. And uh, they presumably sell the cars for more than they pay for them because they won't pay the VAT. Um, so they just sell, sell them for punters for probably more than they paid for them. So anything they make on the rentals is probably just a, a bonus, really. That was a good car, phenomenal fuel economy 60 miles per gallon from this diesel engine, no cruise control. So all the way down to the bottom of Cornwall, I had to uh, keep the speed myself. So all the speed cameras there, it was quite hard work. So that was a bit of a mission on the focus, but quite a nice car. The best one, though, was the Nissan Duke. I very much enjoyed that. Again, I only paid for a Fiat 500, but they'd run out of those. And uh, they'd just reversed a Nissan Juke off the back of a Transporter, this strange-looking Japanese contraption built in Sunderland. Brand new, six miles on the clock for a spectacular £14 a day. Uh, as a brand new, 1.5 turbo diesel. What a great car. What a great car. I never really saw the point. But now I understand why they're so popular. Drove brilliantly the fuel economy for a car with six miles on the clock. It was getting 65 miles a gallon. I was driving it to Gatwick and to central London and back and it was just costing absolutely nothing. Absolutely cracking machine that was. Really enjoyed it. And then as I said before I rented a car in Glasgow airport. The Edinburgh festival's on so I I couldn't get back to Edinburgh on my flight. So I booked a flight to Glasgow and dropped the car off at Edinburgh. They'd run out of the the tiny micro-cars in Glasgow, so rather than give me the Fiat 500, they gave me this Mercedes uh, A180 automatic, which, um, lovely-looking car, actually. The automatic gearbox was from 1985. My granny had a Renault Clio back in the uh, early 90s, and I think its gearbox was more refined than the one on this Mercedes. It it must be running an old 356 uh, or 386 processor from the 1980s to work out the gear changes, because it was... It, it, it was all over the place. Thankfully, it had a manual mode, so you could switch into manual mode and, uh, and do it yourself, which was easier, but slightly defined, defeats the point of an automatic, doesn't it, really? But one thing about this car was it, it, I picked it up, and it had a little bit of damage reported. So I, had, I checked the car, and uh, only on the second time of checking did I notice there was a lot of damage underneath the car, which hadn't been recorded on the documentation. Now, thank goodness I spotted that damage. And I got them to to sign it off in Glasgow. Otherwise, when I dropped the car off at Edinburgh Airport, they would have charged me £250 for that damage. Because it was quite a lot of damage. So if you're renting cars, check them over with a fine tooth comb. If it's at night, get a torch. If you've rented it in the dark in the morning, get out there. Check every inch of that car. Because the rental companies, if you hand it back with damage on that car, they'll pin it on you. They'll pin it on you. Otherwise, the branches get charged. Because if they miss damage on a check-in, the branch gets charged and they lose their bonus or something. So just check that car over. Because you don't want to take out the, uh, the insurance, do you? The insurance on some of the companies is £24 a day to get rid of the excess. £24 a day. I'm only paying £12 for the car. And you want £24 a day for the insurance. It's madness on stilts. So what I did was, because I'm renting them so much, I bought a third-party insurance from a company called Questor, It was £45, I think, for worldwide excess insurance uh, um, and absolute bargain. I mean, it's only the same as two days uh, of the rental company's own insurance, and you get an entire year of worldwide cover. The only thing you've got to watch for, though, is you've got to reclaim it afterwards. You've got to pay for the damage, and you've got to get pictures and a damage report from the company when you drop the car off and then they'll pay uh, pay the excess for you. haven't had to try it yet, so hopefully I won't, but uh, it's nice to know it's there if you need it. But you've got to make sure you get the car checked over thoroughly and signed off when you hand it back. So leave a little bit of time if you're going for a flight or a train to do that. And the last car I had was a Vauxhall Corsa 1.4 SE. Vauxhall is not a car I really like very much. Uh, it's an old design now. Uh, it, it was a... Introduced back in 2009, this particular version of the car. Um, But what it did have was a heated steering wheel on a Vauxhall Corsa. I've never had a car with a heated steering wheel before, so it was kind of odd that it was on a cheap little bargain basement rust bucket like a Vauxhall Corsa. Of course, that's what the manufacturers do, isn't it? As the cars get towards the end of their life, and they know that they're dynamically falling behind the opposition, they just start throwing baubles at them, like our wheels and heated steering wheels and lane departure systems. Never mind the fact it doesn't have an engine, or an engine big enough to pull the car along, or it, it handles like a donkey cart. It doesn't matter. You just take your mind off it with a heated steering wheel, don't, don't you? Don't you? Anyway, I actually quite like the car. I, 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 I uh, despise Vauxhall Corsas normally. I think the Hattrick actually had a Vauxhall Corsa before he retired when he was a driving instructor for a while. And uh, he um, he hated it. He absolutely hated it. It actually put him off driving, that car. It was a one-litre version with a, a three-cylinder engine. Three-cylinder engines. Three cylinders is just not enough, is it? I mean, you need four cylinders at an absolute minimum. But he, he couldn't stand that car. But I didn't mind it. It wasn't too bad. I know it's a, a different model. It had lots of equipment on it. But it was it was an honest car. It was it was quite likeable. But when I took it back to Edinburgh Airport to, to drop it off before flying off down to London, um, I dropped it off at the, the Europe car depot at Edinburgh Airport. And just opposite where I dropped it off, there were um, a whole bunch of crashed rental cars. They were just... Apparently 15% of the rental cars at Edinburgh Airport get crashed on their rentals. And not just... A little scrape or a dent. They get crashed. And these cars are in bits. There was a Hyundai i30 with the entire side ripped off. A Range Rover evo that looked like it had driven into a tree. They're all in absolute bits. So uh, it just shows. Take out that insurance, guys. Anyway, that's car rental. Um, just my little take on it. All quite good fun. Uh, very cheap and quite convenient. <laughs>